Good morning. Whether you are joining us online or here in the sanctuary, welcome to First UU Church of Austin. That's Unitarian Universalist. We are a spiritual community dedicated to a free and responsible search for truth, meaning, and beauty. I am the Reverend Michelle Legrave. She, her, your co-lead interim minister, and it is good. It is good to be with you today. I'd like to begin by sending out an extra warm welcome to all of you who are visiting or newly with us today. If you are joining us remotely, and if you can, please say hello in the comments and let us know where you are signing in from. And now I would like to invite the Ministerial Search Committee to come up with an announcement. Good morning. So, so I'm Susan Thompson, chair of the Ministerial Search Committee. So again, I'm here with my, our very hardworking fellow members who you elected to find a good match for our church's next settled minister, Carolyn Griminger, Tomas Medina, Peggy Morton, Celeste Padilla, Tom Schindel, and Biss Thornton. We're here to announce that we're setting aside our tools because the search is complete. We are asking you to call Reverend Chris Jimerson as our settled minister. Now, Reverend Michelle warned me that once I made this announcement, you may not be tuned into the rest of what we have to say, but there are a few, few remarks. <laughs> so, we're grateful to you, for those of you who completed our survey and attended a variety of search party and focus group meetings. We heard you and appreciated your sharing the qualities and functions uh, that you want in ministry. We worked together to discern your feedback. We also studied Reverend Chris's ministerial record, references and other information, and we interviewed him. Reverend Chris has much to offer this congregation to meet what you have said you need in ministry. We can tell you that Reverend Chris is not only a good match, he's a great match. We will be sharing more information with you throughout the month about the many ways Reverend Chris is a great match for this congregation. We are working with him to create a calendar for you to schedule one-on-one meetings. There will be a candidating week during the week before the congregational meeting to provide additional opportunities for you to get to know Reverend Chris better, both individually and in groups. So please join us in celebrating this important milestone in the life of this church that we love so much. We're finally here. 
How does it feel? <laughs> Pretty good, right? All right. As we work to create beloved community, we welcome all who would join us in building a better world with more love, more justice, and more peace. We welcome all who would join us in growing in minds, hearts, and spirits. We welcome all who would join us in tearing down systems of oppression of all kinds. We welcome all who would join their purposes to ours in a loving spirit of right relationship and goodwill. Whoever you are, wherever you come from, wherever you find yourself on your life's journey, whichever your pronouns, whether you've walked in or rolled in or dialed in, whether you see with your eyes or your mind and your heart, whomever you love, you are welcome here. You belong here. Good morning. I'm your lay leader this morning, Margaret Borden, and the first thing I have to tell you is our chalice lighting is not the usual one that is written in our order of service. We're trying something different today. It is a responsive reading, very short. It should be on the screens, but because it's not in the order of service and because some people have a hard time seeing the screen, what I'm going to do is read my line then I'm going to say, please repeat after me and read your line, and you repeat it. Okay? Shall we give it a try? All right. We light this chalice to affirm that new light is ever waiting to break through to enlighten our ways. Please repeat after me that new truth is ever waiting to break through to illuminate our minds. And that new love is ever waiting to break through to warm our hearts. May we be open to this light and to the rich possibilities that it brings us. Our call to worship this morning is from Reverend Michelle. Come into this space, this sacred space, this sanctuary. Whether your sanctuary is here or at home or in some other online space. Draw in its beauty as if drawing in a deep breath. Draw in its peace as if drawing in a deep breath. And come, come into this space with hearts open, hearts ready to receive, hearts ready to give. Let us begin. One of the things that binds First UU together as a religious community is that the congregation has a common purpose. For First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin, that common purpose is the mission. The congregation wrote it together and emblazoned it on the wall in the sanctuary. Every Sunday, church participants say it together so that we may more readily carry it with us in our hearts throughout the week. Let us say it together now. Together, we nourish souls, transform lives, 
and do justice to build the beloved community. morning is by Howard Thurman, who was an American author, philosopher, theologian, mystic, educator, civil rights leader, and the grandson of formerly enslaved people. He was the first African-American dean of a chapel at a traditionally white American university and a founder of the first interracial interfaith congregation in the United States.
As a prominent religious figure, he played a leading role in many social justice movements and organizations of the 20th century. In this piece, Thurman uses a phrase that is central to his message and which I had to look up. So you're going to hear what I had, <laughs> what I found out. He talks about his own idiom. And after looking it up, I understand that to mean the way in which he expresses his own, his, the style or manner in which he expresses himself. The Sound of the Genuine by Howard Thurman. If I were to ask you what is the thing that you desire most in life this afternoon, you'd say a lot of things off the top of your head, most of, most of which you wouldn't believe. But I think that if you were stripped to whatever there is in you that is literal and irreducible, and you tried to answer that question, it may be something like this. I want to feel that I am thoroughly and completely understood so that now and then I can take my guard down and look out around me and not feel that I will be destroyed with my defenses down. I want to feel completely vulnerable, completely naked, completely exposed, and absolutely secure. That I can run the risk of radical exposure and know that the eye that beholds my vulnerability will not step on me. That I can feel secure in my awareness of the active presence of my own idiom in me. So, as I live my life then, this is what I'm trying to fulfill. That I am secure because I hear the sound of the genuine in myself. And having learned to listen to that, I can become quiet enough, still enough, to hear the sound of the genuine in you. This is the time in our service where we center ourselves together. We breathe together. And breathing together, we sense one another's loving presence. This morning, we will listen to a spoken meditation with the words by Barbara Peskin. We spend so much time running from ourselves, fleeing from what we know about the goodness in our hearts. We think we can escape the intelligence of our loving. Imagine you are standing before a bodhisattva, Jesus, Buddha, the first mother. It does not matter what you call the Holy One. He has dust on his shoes, chafe clinging to her, the smells of being alive. Shining from their faces is the beam of all their questions, the compassion of their living. Can you see yourself 
through those eyes? Can we know each other like this? We, who no longer believe in messiahs, can hardly believe in each other. Can we know ourselves seen and know each other this same way until our restless hearts learn to abide in this knowing and this love? Can we live in this gaze of blessing? Breathing together in and out. We enter into a time of sacred silence, all the while remembering that nowhere in the world is the world fully silent. Amen and blessed be. I invite you now to light a candle if you are so moved. A candle representing sorrow, joy, hope, resilience, remembrance. Whatever it is that you need to honor during this time. And as we light these candles, I invite you to keep in your mind and heart the members of this community who are ill or in sorrow, and those who are celebrating joys. Let us hold the silence together throughout this meditative time.
And now we light a candle for all those for whom there is no one to light a candle. I enter the trauma room and stand off to the side, watching a young man, a young person, barely old enough to be a man, lies before me on a stretcher. He is combative, fighting with the medical staff about having his pants taken off, demanding the two police officers in the room be removed and refusing to give his name or any information about what happened to him. I watch as he alternates between fighting and yelling with the staff and curling over on his side and crying about how much it hurts. He was found by police lying in a snowbank, clearly not here in Austin, a victim of assault. Not much is known yet, though he is clearly injured on one side. His appearance, young, male, ears and tongue pierced, arm tattooed, and his manner, refusing to give his name or story in front of the police, his anger and combativeness toward the medical staff, give rise to a myriad of possible labels and stories, few of them flattering. Then he turns on his side once more, curls up into a ball, and cries about the pain. My heart breaks open. A part of me knows this young man could be a gangbanger, a person accustomed to being in trouble with the law, an innocent victim, or a thousand other things. But none of that matters now. The possible labels and stories have fallen away. All I can see now is a young boy crying in pain and needing comfort. My heart has broken open. I move closer, encourage him to breathe and rub his head in comfort. His chaplain is there. Someone who cares, not just about his body and its broken condition, but about his feelings and his spirit, which have also been broken. He has been seen, and his need for emotional comfort and spiritual healing has been acknowledged. Years ago, I worked as a chaplain resident in an intensive clinical pastoral education program. The hospital where I served is a level one trauma center and contains the state's only burn unit. It is located in a city filled with violent crime and gang activity. Patients seen cover a wide range of diagnoses from gunshot wounds and stabbings to appendicitis, from cancer treatments and life-threatening burns to 
dehydration or frostbite, and they cover all ages. From the not yet born to elders dying in hospice suites. The program itself is demanding, at times even grueling. Residents are there to learn how to do pastoral care in all of its forms well. Eventually, they move on to churches and hospices, hospitals and synagogues, wherever they are called and feel the call. Meanwhile, the most is made of their time in the program. Work weeks range from 60 to 64 hours, some shifts lasting as long as 28 hours at a time. My aim in telling you all of this is to explain how easy it is to become jaded. How easy it is to become jaded in such a setting. It takes a significant amount of dedication and commitment from anyone who chooses to do a residency. And I will admit, there were plenty of times when I questioned my own levels of dedication and commitment especially after a long and sleep-deprived night. But this night and this patient I just spoke of was not one of those times. Though I eventually found out his name and that he had been beaten by several guys who he is going to, quote, get someday, I never did get the chance to talk with him and find out who he really is as a person and what his story was about. The next hour or so had been spent alternating between resisting staff and their attempts at medical care and allowing himself to be comforted and soothed by his chaplain, me. Eventually, he fell asleep from sheer exhaustion and for several hours. I did not get to see him again, though his presence remains with me still, for my heart had been broken and remains open. I do not know how or why these moments of broken openness come and go. I just know that they do. I consider these moments of broken openness to be moments of seeing, or truly seeing, or essentially seeing, as Mark Nepo has termed it, or the sound of the genuine in you, as Howard Thurman has so eloquently described. I consider these moments of heartbroken openness to be moments of amazing grace. Amazing grace. There is a story behind the song, one which you have probably heard. It goes like this. John Newton was a slave trader who, after surviving a horrific storm, became suddenly racked with guilt about his chosen profession. Newton immediately turned his ship back to Africa freed all his slaves, and, as a newly converted Christian, wrote the hymn, Amazing Grace. Now, as heartwarming as that story might sound to you, 
it is unlikely to be a story that Newton himself would recognize. That story is really a legend, a legend behind the song. It does not reflect the sound of the genuine John Newton. So today, I'm going to tell you a different story, a more complicated story, a story about the same person, and one hopefully that Newton would better recognize. This one is a story about a young boy frequently in trouble for disobeying his father, who grew into a young man impressed in the British Navy, then demoted to the lowest rank. Of a deserter who was caught, publicly stripped and beaten. Of a slave trader brought back to life by slaves. By slaves who were sneaking themselves, <coughs> by slaves who were sneaking him food from their own small allowance. Of a slave trader locked up by his own master who went without food, shelter, or clothing for many hours at a time, yet impossibly continued to trade people, trade slaves, after he was rescued. It is a story of a man who drank and swore too much, who derided Christians, who was disliked by his fellow crew, yet was saved by them when he nearly went overboard in a drunken stupor. It is the story of a man who twice, by two different captains on two different ships, avoided drowning when he was sent on a long, last-minute errand. It is the story of a man who got shot in the hat, who lived through at least two tropical diseases, one mutiny, and three slave revolts. It is also the story of a 23-year-old who converted to Christianity, yet continued to trade people, to trade slaves. Of a 39-year-old who became a priest, of a 47-year-old who wrote a hymn, of a 60-year-old who finally, finally began to speak out against slavery and continued to do so for 22 more years. John Newton's is not an easily reducible story, as no one's really is, and it is not the story of a legend. John Newton's story is the story of a human life, of painfully slow growth and change, and finally, transformation. This John Newton story reflects the sound of the genuine in one former slave trader come priest. His story is a story of amazing grace. His story is a story of a heart finally broken open. Knowing this story, 
The longer, deeper, fuller, though still not complete story brings richer and deeper meaning to the words of this famous hymn. Listen once more with eyes and ears and hearts open, if you will. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. Twas grace which taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils, and storms, I have already come. Twas grace which brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. When John Newton penned the words, through many dangers, toils, and storms, I have already come, he wasn't exaggerating, not by a long shot. Like all of us, his life was full of its own dangers and challenges and near misses. His life was replete with its own tragedies and sorrows, as my life is and your lives are and all of my patients' lives were. As Unitarian Universalists, it is from our lives, from our direct lived experiences, that we build our philosophies and theologies about what is sacred, about what is holy, about what gives meaning to our lives and what our lives mean. This journey of meaning-making and discovery and hopefully self-growth is never-ending. William Ellery Channing, one of our early uh, forebears, believed that this process, which he and other 19th century Unitarians termed self-culture, continued even past death and into the afterlife. Whether that is true or not, either way, we all do continue throughout our lives to make meaning and to discover anew, as did I during the time I spent working as a chaplain. Here are a few things that I think I learned from that time in my life. All of us and any of us can and do feel lonely and isolated at times, and it is not, it is not a matter of how many people are around us. Each of us, any of us, can get wrapped up in our own pain and suffering. And when this happens, we are often unable to see the loneliness and pain and suffering of others around us. I have often walked into a hospital room and discovered a person who is sitting or lying in isolation or loneliness and who is suffering. Though the hospital is 430 beds full, and almost all of the people who fill those beds 
are experiencing some kind of pain and suffering, each person feels alone. Alone in the middle of 430 other people also feeling alone. And I dare say there may be people right here. There probably are people right here sitting in this room, online with us, who feel lonely, at least some of the time. It can be as if each person, each of us, myself included, is or can be blind to the suffering of other people and cannot see through our own pain. This is why we do our own work first, right? This is a natural phenomenon. It's inherent to the experience of being human, and it can easily happen to any of us who are hurting deeply. So please hear me well. This is not criticism. It's not even a critique of the human condition. It just is. And these moments, these moments I see as opportunities, opportunities for grace, maybe even amazing grace. Grace, as a theological concept, traditionally refers to the grace of God. Though there are multiple definitions of exactly what grace is within Christianity, I like to explain it as a gift neatly packaged and tied with a divine bow. Christians may or may not believe that grace is deserved, and they may differ on ideas about how grace is earned, or even if it is earned, but it seems that no matter what, and by anyone's definition, grace is always unexpected. When John Newton wrote Amazing Grace, He certainly was referring to a Christian concept of the divine grace of God. Today, though, as a modern-day you-you, I'd like to argue that there is such a thing as human grace. A grace that, like divine grace, may or may not be earned, but it is certainly always unexpected. I believe... I know that each of us needs to be seen, heard, known, affirmed, and validated in our own pain and suffering, and even in our joy. I believe this needs to happen whether we are lying in a hospital bed or sitting in a pew on Sunday morning or a recliner watching TV online whether we are at a gathering of friends or standing by the grave of a loved one. No one's life is just like another's, even when we are experiencing similar life circumstances. Each person's experience is unique and needs to be seen for what it is. When someone else comes along and sees another's pain or joy or sorrow, seizes the essential truth, And sees the person behind the emotion, whether that someone is your chaplain or your minister, your friend, or even a stranger to you. You have been a recipient of grace. 
human grace, extended from one human to another, yet no less holy than any kind of divine grace. I believe that when we can see, when we can essentially see the truth of another's life through their own eyes and hearts, then our hearts can be and are broken open and our lives are filled with amazing grace. May it be so. Amen and blessed be. Please join me in the words by which we extinguish the chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. With hearts open and a love that knows no bounds, May your spirits be filled this day and all days with amazing grace. Amen and blessed be. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.